0: Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar.
1: Hey, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. And joining me today is Michael Krakaris, co-founder of Deliver. Welcome, Michael.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, I am uh, excited to have you on. And some might say perhaps this is a long overdue conversation, (laughs) given the banner year 2020 was uh, in the world of e-com. So I'm, I'm super excited to jump in and talk about all things Ecom fulfillment, but you know, I want to dig into your story first. How did you get into the world of ecom and ecom fulfillment? At that,
0: yeah, it was a bit of a interesting, interesting path for sure. You know, I went to uh, I went to school at Northwestern, was was there for for a few years, and then so my my last internship out of Northwestern was at uh, Twilio, and it was 2015, summer 2015. I think at that time. You know, Twilio was this, but just become kind of the the unicorn billion dollar valuation status was a fascinating company. And when I was there, I got to learn about this new kind of approach where you were applying software and and infrastructure to these very messy worlds. And so Twilio basically created this set of APIs to interface with super simple pricing and easy hassle-free onboarding. And what was interesting about that was you know, how, it, how it enabled these, the on-demand economy at the time, so companies like Uber and Lyft, to scale very rapidly because it was very quick. It, could, it, it was infinitely scalable and you knew exactly what you were paying day one. So then I, then I wrapped up uh, my internship there, finished my last, had been two months, three months at, at Northwestern, then took a job um, in San Francisco with this company called Symphony Commerce. And Symfony was almost like an agency plus technology solution for really large brands, predominantly in the CPG and apparel space. And so what was nice about that is I got to learn about every layer of the stack in commerce. So I got to learn about merchandising systems, how checkout systems are built, inventory management systems, and then lastly, fulfillment. And uh, they weren't doing a whole lot on the fulfillment space, but they had integrations into these 3PLs. And I got to learn a lot about the 3PL space. And so what I saw in that 3PL space were a lot of similarities to the telecom space pre-Twilio, where you'd have to go and work with different 3PLs. All of them had different pricing. The onboarding was really difficult. I remember we had a big CPG brand who wanted to go from two warehouses to three warehouses and was doing just this insane RFP process. Had to figure out what next warehouse made sense for them. And they sold a really simple product, just bottled water. And, and it reminded me a lot to what it was like if you wanted to create an app that had text messaging before Twilio and you had to deal with AT&T or Verizon and, and parties like that, it was just very difficult. And, and so then that's where the idea came for Deliver was essentially Twilio for fulfillment, where we could take away the hassle, take away this opaqueness in pricing, and apply that to the fulfillment landscape. And so that's why we started the company. And so you see on the website, we have, we have those value props very promptly to this day across the website where we have a cost calculator, you know, your price is day one. Anyone can sign up, get started. The, the record at Deliver as a merchant got started and actually shipped their first order to a consumer through Deliver within 48 hours. And, and, then, and then the third element, which came later on, which was more unique to our space, which was fast shipping, this element of speed. And that was because we saw, you know, retail moving towards faster and faster delivery speeds. And so that's why we went that direction. So that kind of formed the genesis for Deliver, which was, you know, really ultra fast speeds that drive revenue, simple pricing and hassle-free onboarding.
1: Hmm. I like that. So, you know, I I, I would take a step back here and just looking at e-com broadly, like what's your general thinking around state of the industry as the world is emerging from COVID lockdowns and those related restrictions?
0: I mean, it's certainly accelerated a lot of trends that that we've been looking at. I mean, e-commerce a percentage of retail sales. Everyone's got different figures, but it, it essentially leaped three to between three to five years over a span of over a span of twelve months. So you have this really you know clear acceleration, and and you're going to retain a substantial portion of that just because people are noticing that the 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 three key benefits of shopping online, which are price, convenience, and selection. Simply outweigh physical retail in a lot of verticals. Now that doesn't mean that's all verticals. So, for example, I just got a new apartment and I'm furniture shopping, and for a lot of that stuff, I need to see it in person and things like that. So, some some other verticals I think will come back, and 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 you are seeing them rebound quite well. But I, I think majority of of categories online are going to see really strong retention, and I think we formed a new baseline within e-commerce. Now, are the existing trends you know, with growing Forex year over year as an entire industry, coin to hold, I, I think that's incorrect. And so you're going to see a downward adjustment or but it's going to come to a new normal. And and I think that's that's the big thing. And what you're what you're going to start looking at though, which is important, and a lot of first time people came and they started shopping online uh, is going to be the convenience element. People came on online for the first time, but then they were seeing three week, four week delivery times. And so you're not going to retain that experience, right? People who had that experience. And so, you know, the 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 delivery component, I think, is going to be really important to making sure that you're able to retain the buyer base that has come online, a lot of which, is, which has come online for the first time.
1: So, you know, we, we had a conversation here internally at Dynamo a few weeks ago. And we kind of walked out with this belief that different products have different, different fulfillment lead time expectations by the buyer and actually like more utilitarian items we want faster. So like paper towels or like dry erase uh, markers for the office versus maybe yeah. things like apparel where we might be yeah. willing to wait, you know, five days
0: to get it. Do you, do you agree, disagree? with that? It's a little bit of both. And it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard question to unpack. I think there is, you have to almost, you have to divide it into, you know, you have your, your head selection, you have your body selection, you have your tail selection. So, and that's like traditional kind of retail, retail terminology around merchandising. The head selection is going to be a really fast move. Those are gonna be like bounty paper towels, Kleenex, things like that. The body selection is going to be a lot of actually what these bigger Shopify brands are like, like an Allbirds or a Kylie Cosmetics are going to be kind of that body selection. Then you're going to have the tail selection. And that's going to be a lot of the smaller Shopify merchants. You're also going to see a lot of Amazon sellers in that, in that regard. Walmart sellers, eBay sellers are going to be kind of that tail selection. We're going to see you know 100 million plus products. I think when you look at the head selection, I think we are beyond... Expecting two day delivery for head selection. I think the head selection is now moving towards now fulfillment, which is what we're we're calling internally a delivered now fulfillment, which is like five to ten minutes. Mm. And that is being that battle is being fought by all the same day players right now. So you have Instacart in that, DoorDash is in that, Uber is in that, Walmart with Walmart Plus, that is a direct, really, I think it's more for them to preserve market share than anything else. Yep. Target with shipped is in that space. And then Amazon's in that space with fresh. It's predominantly centered around grocery. That's true, but you are seeing other categories now. So you're seeing other categories like like baby products, diapers, things like that, and personal care, things that run out. And they're really centered around, they're really small SKU sets and they're centered around a few key categories. And that's in like the really fast under an hour delivery. And that's going to be the head selection. The fastest moving things in retail are going to go to that model, which is essentially just a virtualized version of a store is is essentially what that now fulfillment is. Then you kind of move and we're going to keep moving down the curve, right? Then you go from, you're going from there, your head selection. Now we're going to kind of move into the body selection, the tail selection. I think with that, the initial idea was, okay, well, can you get that stuff and can you enable it on now fulfillment? Probably unlikely that you could enable a hundred million SKUs with with 5 minute delivery under the existing infrastructure in the United States right if you get to drone delivery and things like that then that opens up avenues for infinite shelf with you know minute delivery but assuming you you're not going to go that path you're looking at you know i think next day delivery makes a lot of sense for the body and and really for a lot of the tail selection and and if you can think of a lot of use cases for that for example You use a very certain type of probiotic that maybe isn't one of the top 10 probiotics that Whole Foods or Walmart grocery carries, but is still important to you. And you're going to need that within a day. Yeah. Right. And so that use case exists. And I think that is what Amazon proved when they, when they looked at Prime, they said, okay, we're not going to enable Prime for. 5,000 SKUs or 10,000 SKUs, which is the way that all the other retailers were viewing it. They were thinking, okay, well, fast delivery, that's just going to be for our top 10,000 SKUs that you see in the store. They said, we're going to enable fast delivery on 100 million products. And what you saw was the prime subscription numbers shot through the roof, meaning that people did want that body and tail selection very fast. Yeah. So I don't, I don't believe in the notion that people, like I think if someone sees the same shoe item and they see it with 2-day delivery or next-day delivery and they see it with 5-day delivery they're going to opt for the 2-day next-day delivery. Right because they've made it in their mind that they want that shoe and they want it to to wear out to whatever it is. And that is a body and tail selection. However, there is also that use case where there's certain things like diapers that you need it in under an hour and that will almost be run through a separate supply chain in this in this ecosystem
1: and so i guess kind of with the world where there's it it, it sounds like in, in your perspective there'll be an increasingly lower tolerance for long delivery times across wide ranges of products does that mean just as a whole retailers e-com businesses will just hold more inventory because we'll have redundancy across our network in order to de- uh, deliver <laughs> no pun intended on customer expectations
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's potentially holding more inventory, but I think it's a lot around how you how you position your inventory. So you know I think it is it's a little bit around you know as you get you know faster and faster delivery times. so for example, for a lot of these body selection or these like big, bigger Shopify brands, you know they don't need to build stores when they get to next day delivery. To a lot of metros, and, and some metros, can get, they can even get the same day delivery. They don't need to build stores, so then they don't need to worry about tying up their inventory in a store. So I actually think you're getting a little bit more inventory efficiency as things get faster and faster. However, if you're looking at that old mo- of the old model, like the 2005-2010 the model, where you have two silos of inventory, you have one you have your top moving items that are in stores and then you have all of your long tail stuff that's available with 7 to 10 day delivery you actually in that use case you need two separate sets of inventory one for your site and one for one for stores so i actually think as as delivery times get faster and faster you're probably going to see either the same amount of inventory but but better efficiency because it will remove a lot of the store requirements now that doesn't that that only pertains to certain you know certain merchants. I think if you get into the that really old, you know, really fast moving stuff like Kleenex and things like that, that will always need to be in stores and will also need to have that kind of, you know, thirty minute delivery time. But this is for really the majority of retailers would fall under this other bucket I'm talking about.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you know, when we talk about ecom, there's a long tail of mom and pop out there, right? Like the the independent ecom merchants. How, how have they uh, fared in the last year? Because I know there's been you know, media pieces out there, anecdotes out there that there's actually been maybe growth in that part of the e-com market?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there, there were massive supply shocks to start COVID. And typically when there are really big supply shocks, the gaps in selection are going to be filled by smaller businesses because they can adjust and they're very adaptable. and. For example, we were fulfilling at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of items around like toilet paper, masks, supplements, vitamins, so vitamin C, zinc. And these were not being sold by your Fortune 500 brands. Those came later and kind of later, you know, around around the late fall. But if you looked at the first six months, it was actually being powered by these really small brands that had this kind of organic Toilet paper was one of our brands, and 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 some of these other some of these other things, and so and, and a lot of masks, mask sellers on Etsy. You might have seen this huge influx in volume to Etsy that was reported, I think, on Marketplace Pulse. That was all driven by small merchants who were able to adapt very quickly, faster than the bigger companies, than the bigger Fortune five hundred companies, and were able to get this selection out. That was critical for the American economy at the time. So. That's that's the way I view it. I think it's 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 that they can adapt very fast and in times of volatility a lot of times they're the first ones to they're going to have the first mover advantage. Now ultimately though as things stabilize you get to the point where you know you go to Costco and you can get you know 500 masks at a huge discount. So, you know, ultimately the bigger retailers do do catch up. But uh, you do have these moments and so these periods of time of of initial shocks to the market, supply chain shocks to the market, and, and I think you do see these small, medium-sized businesses come out on top. That's one of the beauties of of like an Amazon, right? Is that they have that one-piece selection, but they also have it backed up with this three-piece selection that is so adaptable and so redundant that it can withstand these really high periods of uh, of volatility. And you're seeing, you know, other other sales channels like Walmart take similar approaches.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so when we are delving into delivery here, you're focused kind of on the uh, long tail enablement around e-com and e-com merchants. I'd be curious, like, how, how are you equipping them with this fast fulfillment capability, right, to go toe to toe with Amazon or Walmart, Shopify, whomever, Right how does that practically work
0: you know and 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 really i think in a lot of ways we we focus not just on the tail but really the entire spectrum of brands really anything outside of outside of store fulfillment and i think what what you need to do is make it as simple as possible and i think that that pertains by the way to like we have for example a top 20 retailer in the united states using deliver and then we also have you know these thousands of these long tail merchants, like you mentioned. Simplicity is key for the really large retailer and even for, even for small, small businesses because the problem around fulfillment hasn't really been solved by anyone outside of Amazon around e-commerce fulfillment, store fulfillment. I think there's, there's obviously some huge players in that space, but around e-commerce fulfillment, it's, it's a very tricky problem to solve and it's more so a data problem than anything else it's a data problem, and then it's an order orchestration problem. So it's how are you going to move orders across a lot of different parties? You've got the warehouse, you've got the carrier. In between that, there's a lot of things that are going on between sort centers and things like that. And then then ultimately, you have the consumer at the end. And so what you have to do is you have to simplify all that. And the way we've done that is a few ways. I think number one is We made inventory positioning really, really simple. Where you can just, I mean, originally, if you try to solve this and you try to build this yourself, you have to figure out where are people buying my products and how am I going to put stuff close to where people are buying my stuff? That's a really difficult problem to solve. And if you ask most brands who fulfill themselves, where do they have a warehouse? They have one warehouse and it tends to sit in Kentucky. Okay, well, that's not great when the majority of your buyers sit in Los Angeles, or the majority of your buyers sit in Dallas, or even if the majority of your buyers sit within Miami, Kentucky can't hit those locations within two days. Yeah, uh, and and not even close if you try to get next day delivery. And so we abstracted away that problem, made it super simple, where you can send to one of our like cross stocks in California or in the Northeast, and then from there it will redistribute that inventory to like 18 different locations across the country. And we do all that math for you and we make it super simple. Then what we do is on top of that, so that's the first area of simplicity, is inventory positioning, that we abstracted that away so that anyone, a mom and pop shop can all of a sudden, who's selling water bottles, can put their water bottles within 100 miles of their customers across the entire United States. Second thing we went and did is that we said, okay, The inventory is now positioned. Now, how do we translate that into a revenue driver? So then we built all these badging programs. We went to Walmart, worked with eBay, we worked with Shopify, and and we built these two-day, next-day, three-day delivery badges that surface on your your sales channel, but then also surface on your marketing channel. So now on your ads that you run, it's gonna show two-day or next-day delivery promises. And then when you hit your website, it'll show two-day, next-day delivery promises. So now you're driving a lot of revenue and that badging works in real time with the inventory positioning we have. And that's also very difficult for a mom and pop shop to build. Mm-hmm. That's also difficult for these really large retailers to build. They have teams, you know, Amazon have teams figuring out Prime and FBA and relationship. Walmart has teams figuring out day and, 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 you know, their fulfillment relationship, so on and so forth with, with all these other big retailers like Target and guys like that. And so now a small, a small business can have that same kind, of, same kind of interaction, and they can also plug into all those different channels and all those different fast shipping programs. So that's how you abstract away. Then the last element is price. And price, when you ask most retailers what they're paying, they understand it. The ones who are shipping themselves, they do not understand it from a per unit standpoint. They understand what their monthly bill is. But that doesn't make sense because when they think about their marketing costs, you look at these Shopify brands, (laughs) they run huge marketing spend. They run marketing costs on a per order basis. Yep. But they don't understand what their fulfillment cost is on a per order basis because it depends on the carrier it's going across. It depends what zone it is. And all that's dynamic. It's changing, right? And so they can't really build, ultimately, a really strong LTV to CAC understanding under the ship-it-yourself model. And so that's where we said, okay, we're going to abstract all that away and we're going to build pricing it's similar to like what the FBA model was. And this was one of the huge innovations that FBA did where they incorporate shipping costs into your total spend. And they say, okay, well, this is exactly where their cost is. So you know day one, what your LTV to CAC ratio is going to be. And, and so that's how you abstract all of this away. It's those three elements, inventory positioning, fast tags, and then, and then the pricing element. And that's how you can make Thousands of businesses in two day, next day enabled across the country.
1: And, and like, how do, how do you engage with this kind of three part framework as you're approaching, like, larger, what one might like dub enterprise grade retailers and, and e com merchants? Does, do things shift? Are there certain things they need that perhaps the emerging e com businesses may not need as much of?
0: the needs are are actually they're 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 quite similar i think that they bigger enterprises or bigger brands there's more importance obviously around inventory positioning because mistakes can be more expensive there's more importance around obviously making sure every you know the entire engine is working but it's it's a very it's a very similar set of requirements very similar to like Twilio, for example, where someone who you know programmed in in a, in a hackathon a Twilio app is using Twilio in the very similar way that Uber was using Twilio, and, and we see that at Deliver is that they are using things you know a, a larger account or some of these really big retailers are using Deliver very similarly to these mom pop shops. The difference comes more so around the inventory reporting pieces around that billing and things like that but it is it is strikingly similar because everyone's kind of at the same almost at the same playing field right now outside of a handful of you know five five to 10 really top guys in the United States everyone else is kind of on the same playing field and trying to figure this out while you know obviously volumes are volumes are increasing quite a bit
1: yeah 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 and for like merchants looking for an e-com partner a, a fulfillment partner specifically like, how should they navigate the the host of options out there? Because it, it feels like you know every day as an investor, I'm getting like a cold pitch from a new local or, or regional player. But like, what, is, yeah. is there a framework you could offer our our audience around how to parse through the noise?
0: It's tough because sometimes you don't always fully know what it is you want. I think understand. To the best of your ability, try to understand what it is your customer wants, and a lot of times, and if you can't figure that out, and that's totally okay, by the way. Try to design ways to test that, and and this goes with any with any business, frankly. And I think with when you look at it from the fulfillment side, so how does it translate to film side? I think a lot of times brands come in and they they come to deliver and they say, okay, I need I need inserts. And let's say this person sells, this person sells, you know, exercise supplements. I need t-shirts. I, I need inserts. Inserts are really important. I need this custom thing and I need a branded box and I need inserts and all these types of things. But then when you look at the product, you know, being a, a health supplement and, and also, you know, what, what drives conversion there is actually not so much the customization, it's probably going to be speed. It's probably gonna be how fast you can get that that item to your customer's doorstep. That's going to drive your MPS much higher than having an insert that says, here's 15% off on your next order, which you could have just emailed them. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I've had really expensive brands, like brands who are $500 say, oh, well, we need branded packaging, which is makes sense for a lot of brands. But what do you have with branded packaging if it's a $500 item and everybody knows it's a high-end brand? You have theft. You have a mm-hmm. lot of package theft. <laughs> and that's not a good customer experience. It might look nice, but if you're increasing your customer complaints on where's my order by 20, 30 percent, then that's not a very customer-centric decision. And so that's what, but conversely, you could have branded boxes and the items only $20, or no one really understand or, or knows the brand yet, and your theft rates are really low, in which case it's a good move for the customer. And so that's that's kind of how you need to frame it: is what does my customer need? And is my fulfillment service. Putting me in the best position to delight my customers, and and that's why we design a lot of ways to test out deliver. For example, you know we can take a handful of skus, put them on two day, next day delivery, and see what is the revenue lift, or what is the NPS lift, or how do abandoned cart rates come down. We've developed like five different ways to really design very controlled A/B test experiments, so you know. What is the actual benefit from this? And that's ultimately, I think, how you should approach it. Understand what your customer is, and then really approach it from a testing uh, perspective, so that you that you really the this is the right decision or this is the wrong decision. There are certain brands where where fast shipping probably doesn't make sense. You know, for example, like a really large you know for selling custom made furniture. You know, in that case, the customer probably is okay waiting mm-hmm. as long as you get it right. You know, but you know, for someone like you know, a twenty dollar protein powder, that's where I think fast shipping makes a lot more sense than going the more custom, you know, gift card and, and and insert and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that that helps kind of clarify how to how to approach this.
1: And you know, I'd be curious, like what's one thing about fulfillment you wish you knew prior to setting
0: out to build deliver? It's a game of perfection. <laughs> and I think as we started this, you know, we have a lot of a lot of ex-Amazon people at at Deliver. And they talked about Jeff Wilkie and how Wilkie would stop meetings midway if there was if there was an issue. And no one could go go home for the day if there was an issue, if there was like a group of group of buyers who didn't get their orders on time or there was some big fire. And at the time when I first heard that, I was like, okay. Because in the world of software, you know, issues can be solved much quicker. And they're, you know, like like for example, at Twilio, the issues were technically very complex, but from a process standpoint, fairly simple. Because in the end, you're not changing where where the telephone poles are going to be. In logistics, is less technically complex, but it is really operationally complex. And and your process needs to be perfect. And anytime there's a problem there's a break in that process. There is this carrier, but not just this carrier, this driver from this carrier shows up to this warehouse and doesn't scan every package when he picks up. That's a fire in itself. And it's those little things in this space that add up that create, that really determine success from from failure and and i think that was that has been the biggest learning and so you know we have so many like metronome meetings where we have we looked at we look at all the data going on all the different issues all these type of process issues and going after every single little thing there is because little things can become big things over time but also if there's a little thing going on here it's probably happening somewhere else and if you don't have a process to fix that little thing in this warehouse or this carrier or in this region You're going to see it in another region and you're going to see ultimately our customers, buyers affected by it. So it's a game of perfection uh, and perfection ultimately wins.
1: I like that. And, you know, kind of to wrap up here, I'd be curious, like what, what do you think, you know, the team at deliver knows about the fulfillment space that others might be ignoring or just kind of flat out unaware of, right? as you think about strategy, company philosophy, how you're trying to deliver perfection for your customers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's where things get, you know, they're not as not as objective. It's more subjective because you don't, you don't fully understand how everybody else views it. And honestly, it's not entirely relevant to us. I think what's important is how do we how do we view it and do we believe that we're viewing it in the right way? And I think it's the data centric approach is is probably what stands out when you look at deliver. And and this focus and this obsession over speed of delivery. And you know, like we, when we opened the conversation today, you talked about okay, what is what is the future for e-commerce holds and can it retain a lot of the buyers that came in through pan through the pandemic? And I think for e-commerce to continue to grow, it will need to continue to make Strides in the three elements we talked about, which was price selection, and then the last element, which is where we play in, is, is speed, convenience, and I think that focus on data and that focus on speed of delivery is 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 probably what makes us the most unique. And using, I think, what what I'm pretty, you know, make, make put a pretty big focus on is, you know, fast shipping and fast fulfillment should pay for itself ultimately. It should pay for itself in terms of customers buying more or customers buying when they wouldn't have bought, and I think that is the you know in this obsession over speed of delivery kind of led us to that led us to that conclusion, and I think that's that's what you'll see when you look at Deliver is what what makes us unique, and I think positions just the best for where the future of of retail is going.
1: Well, with that, Michael, it was great to have you on here to chat about ecom fulfillment as well as your founding story here. And look forward to see what Deliver has in store for us as we're clicking away (laughs) in home and office. Thanks for having me on.
0: Cheers. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.